Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening, and thank you for barely making it through Halloween times. I know it was very scary. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I haven't recorded More Than One Lesson in about six weeks. We recorded those episodes and banked them, and so it's good to be back. I'm in the midst of my, uh, my first full quarter back at school. I'm going to UCLA. Um, in the master's program right now, and it is going oddly. Um, I find myself more engaged in cer- in certain areas and less engaged in others, uh, and so it is. I, I would say it's confounding my expectations, both positively and negatively, uh, as we go on. So, um, so okay, a couple of quick things as far as the website uh, itself and what you can find there. So. You can always check out The Fear of God, which which is Reed's horror-based podcast. And then he recorded and posted a bonus episode that I absolutely love. Uh, on this on this bonus episode is Reed and then our friend Jason Eakin. They went to Halloween Horror Nights and Reed recorded for about four and a half hours and then edited that down to about a 40 to 45 minute episode. And... It is an interesting combination because the two have a lot of really great conversations um, while they're standing in line to go on the, you know, through these terrifying mazes uh, and v- uh, very insightful, very, uh, I don't know, just both Reed and Jason are very analytical and very open and uh, they just, they wind up having discussions that uh, one wouldn't expect, but then it is also punctuated by Reed freaking out in a maze, which is uh, delightful. It's a whole different side of Reed. So check that out. And then uh, in response to that as well, uh, Jason wrote uh, an unsurprisingly lengthy article about his experience at Halloween Horror Nights, but also addressing um, uh, people's questions about why would you do this? Why would you subject yourself to being so terrified? Uh, So that is also available now at morethanonelesson.com. So if you're you're bummed that... that, uh, Halloween is over. Halloween times is over. Uh, you can check those out and be frightened all over again. But also a, rec- a, a reminder that uh, Reed's show is going to continue and he talks about horror every week. So uh, I think that is about it. Uh, special thanks to everybody. This is now a couple weeks old, but special thanks to everybody who congratulated me uh, on the 500th episode of uh, Battleship Pretension. Uh, that was very exciting. But it's time to bring things down because we're going to be talking politics and nobody likes doing that right now. Uh, most especially my co-host, Josh Long. Josh, how you doing? Oh, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Uh, four years ago, uh, right bef- I believe right before the, the 2012 presidential election between uh, President Obama and uh, Mitt Romney, uh, you and I and your wife, Meg, were we recorded about the Ides of March, and I wasn't actually planning on doing a politically themed episode this year, but as I was scrambling for uh, episode ideas at the last minute, I thought, well, the election is coming up, and it's not, it's not merely an election is coming up, it's a, a big election. Mm-hmm. And it's been a tough season. Um, 
you know, and it has, and more than one lesson has not gone uh, unscathed by that. Uh, for the last several months, I have said it, uh, said occasional things about uh, Donald Trump uh, and about how much I do not stand by him as a conservative. Uh, but then a few weeks ago with Andrew Clavin, we we talked more politics than I was expecting to, and uh, and uh, we had a couple things. Andrew more than me, but uh, a couple things to say about uh, about liberals, and so. Uh, we like to be an equal opportunity offender here uh, at uh, More Than One Lesson. And along those lines, that led me to want to talk about today's movie, which is the documentary that came out last year. It's called Best of Enemies. It's directed by Robert Gordon and Morgan Neville. The film is actually available on Netflix right now, and I don't think it's going to be leaving anytime soon. So if you haven't given it a watch yet, uh, please do. There's not a lot of, it's not spoiler heavy, so you can listen to this episode and you'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, it's all based on things that have really happened in the yes. real world. So yeah, by the time I'd seen the documentary, I had long since watched those debates on YouTube. Yeah. Um, but it's all about the, the debates between, uh, conservative William F. Buckley and liberal Gore Vidal in 1968 uh, ABC hired them to have a point-counterpoint uh, debate that coincided with the Republican and Democrat conventions. Um, mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> and it, was, it, was, it wasn't necessarily the first in- instance of punditry, but it was, these were guys who, while political, I mean, Gore Vidal, I mean, he was political, but he was an author, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, and then Buckley was much more uh, overtly political with National Review and that sort of thing. But um, but he was also an appreciator of, you know, Bach uh, mm-hmm. and wrote quite a bit about that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these were not, while they were TV personalities, they weren't newsmen or anything like no, that. No, not really. They, they were TV personalities, albeit very classy ones. Mm-hmm. And so to go to them for political commentary was a little bit new. Um, at first it smacked of, uh, desperation because Mm -hmm. ABC was, they were uh, always behind in the ratings. Yeah. Uh, Like way behind. Yeah. So they were kind of looking for some sort of boon to get attention. And this did, this did that in spades. They were actually very much shocked at how, uh, how much of an audience response they got. And the reason that that happened It wasn't because this discussion was uh, nuanced. I mean, it was in some ways, uh, specifically uh, language that was used. But um, it's because quite, I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I say that Gore Vidal and William F. Buckley hated each other, (laughs) like genuinely hated each other. Yeah. um, For, and that their, their commentary and their, their back and forth got actually quite, for lack of a better term, catty, mm-hmm. um, if not straight up offensive and defensive. And, and you know, in theory, they're supposed to be talking about these conventions. <laughs> and But within, I don't know, two seconds, it immediately turns to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as you watch, it's, it's funny. You know, these are both incredibly witty, well-spoken guys. And to, to hear them snipe at each other is, is a lot of fun. Um, and you know, one of the points that the film makes sort of towards the end is that, 
you know, in the, in the age of punditry that we live in now, the age of Chris Matthews and Bill O'Reilly and Rachel Maddow and Sean Hannity and just, and Rush Limbaugh and all these others that the popularity of these pundits can be traced back to this little experiment by ABC. Now, I think that might be a little bit too clean of a line to draw. Yeah, that was one thing. I One issue I took with the film is that it seemed yeah. a little bit reductive of the the growth of, uh, of uh, talking heads on in uh, political talk shows. Yeah, but it did. I don't think it like catapulted ABC to number one or anything like that, but it did. It, it, it did put them ratings. more on the map. Yeah, yeah it got. And, and you did find a lot more point counterpoint things pop up like in the, in the seventies to the point that SNL even parodied it right, yeah. with their, with their own point counterpoint with uh, Jane Curtin and Dan Aykroyd, which was delightful to, <laughs> to watch every time. So, um, but yeah. And so, so there's just, there's, there's a lot going on with this film. I would say it is maybe a little bit too much, uh, a very easily digestible film. Um, it is maybe for a, for a film that does, let's say, let's go ahead and give it the benefit of the doubt and say that the line that it draws between the Buckley Vidal debates and modern day punditry, let's go ahead and say that that line is there and it's a hundred percent accurate. Uh, they do seem to bemoan what came from this and yet they still engage in the fun of it. And so I do at times get a bit of a conflicting message from the directors. Hmm. Um, but this was one of my favorite movies of last year, uh, precisely because while I would venture to say, and I don't actually know this, but it's just a, it's just a hypothesis. Um, I would venture to guess that the directors are probably more left-leaning. However, the reason I'm guessing at that is because you really can't get that from the film itself. They seemed about as committed to showing the pluses and negatives of both of these men without leaning one way or another. Mm -hmm. um, and that is one of the things I absolutely love about the movie, which I'll talk about more in a moment. Um, I believe you and I saw this together in the theater. Is that, tr is that correct? It or did I see be. it with Jason? I saw it in the theater for sure, but I don't remember. Okay. I think it was you and me. I don't recall. Okay. But, um, but yeah. And I know that one of your issues was that, that line, uh, a little bit too drawn again, a little bit too clearly and cleanly. Um, what are some of the other like issues you might've had with the film? And then we can talk about some of the stuff you do like. Mm -hmm. I, the one that stuck out to me the most and still I think bothers me a little bit is I question whether the uh, whether the impetus to make the film in the first place is the fact that its climax is uh, – its climax involves – this, you know, Buckley, who was a, the face of intelligent conservatism, losing his cool and yeah. using a word that we're not allowed to say anymore. Right. Uh, and you weren't even really allowed to say that much then. Like, he felt bad about saying that it, well, word specifically. It, I think it was bad something to say on TV, but not to the degree that it is today. Sure, like, sure. I, but I think, the, I think the film is not concerned with that either. I think the film wants you to know how bad that is. So I, I did get a little bit of a sense that they wanted to see, like say, see even, even smart, uh, you know, well-spoken conservatives at heart really are bigots. 
And here's the thing. I was thinking that as well, which is why I'm glad I rewatched the movie today. Mm. Because, um, and first off, I will say that that was for all, as far as culturally, that was the climax of the debates. Like it was the second to last one. Yeah. And so anything after that, um, was going to be something of an epilogue. It will, it would, there would be falling action. Like that was, if that, if that happened, you know, in the, in the second debate, but they treated it as though it were the ultimate climax, that would be one thing, but it did happen at just the right time. As far as the story of these debates for it to be seen as the climax. Um, but as far as the lead up to that, because one of the people that they interview that they interview is uh, Reed Buckley, who is uh, William Buckley's brother, and who <laughs> talks exactly the same and looks exactly the same, <laughs> and and then and they talk to his biographer, they talk to his his secretary, they talk to a lot of people that were friends on to to you know both of these men separately, um, and one of the things that they go out of their way to say is that Buckley was very aware that by and large the the media and we'll talk more about that in a moment the media was would lean vidal's way or just lean left and so for years you know with national review like the the predominantly left wing media would accuse the right of bigotry and of homophobia the, obviously that wasn't used a uh, word mm-hmm. that was used at the time and all of these other things and um and that he was always trying to work around that. He was always trying to work through that and trying to, with his with his specific rhetoric, trying to prove them wrong. And so Vidal, knowing that that that, that was a thing that Buckley was particularly sensitive to, like specifically the word Nazi, mm-hmm. and and the the like uh, lines that were drawn between like the right wing and Nazis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <laughs> it, it sounds is familiar. Yeah, I know it's, uh, <laughs> it's one of the reasons why I picked, <laughs> picked this, uh, this, this, uh, movie to talk about. Um, and so that was a thing that he felt particularly sensitive about historically. It wasn't new to the debate, but once Vidal started, and I think it came about from a question uh, from the, for lack of a better term, moderator. Um, but he didn't ask it necessarily aggressively, but then Vidal jumped on it and started using words like crypto Nazi. I don't mm-hmm. really know what that means, <laughs> but Buckley seemed to, and, uh, he didn't care for it. And so that's what wound him up. And that's what got him to say this, this, this thing. And now the film does acknowledge that, uh, that that was a bad thing that was said, but it actually, it leads up to that quite a bit with Buckley trying so hard to be seen as intellectually legitimate in the eyes of the media and to legitimize the political opinions of half, if not more than half of the country that so many people are quick to say, Oh, well, they're just Nazis or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And so, so that and I and that is not a thing I remembered until I rewatched it today. And 
I'm very glad that they included that because it does show that he has some history and he has he had certain buttons mm-hmm. and Vidal pushed one. Yeah. And I th- I and think... Vidal had buttons too that Buckley pushed. Yeah. Uh specifically his relationship with Bobby Kennedy mm-hmm. which which Buckley pushed in a way that I think is <laughs> kind of underhanded but it's still kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I'm sorry, go on. I think I was just saying, like, I, I I agree with that, that they were setting that up, that that was a button to be pushed. But I, I still feel like uh, I still feel like it's it's very possible that the filmmakers would believe the line that at heart, all all right wing or conservative people really are bigots and really hate, you know, minorities and homosexuals and all that kind of thing. And, and this was where his his true self came through because he was pushed too far. And that's a thing that you and I might believe about the filmmakers themselves. Mm -hmm. But I will say that if nothing else, I think they, they actively worked hard to remove any overt bias. They might not have worked it all out, Mm -hmm. but, um, the directors of the film did get an opportunity to interview Gore Vidal. Um, I don't know if they did it, with the intention of making this film or that it was just a, a, a random uh, interview, but they had interview footage of him mm-hmm. and they opted not to use it hmm. because Buckley wasn't around. Buckley mm-hmm. died before Gore Vidal did. Yeah. And they didn't want mo- you know, modern older Gore Vidal to be commenting on this thing when they couldn't get Buckley's side. Yeah. And even when, uh, anytime, uh, a passage of writing from either Buckley or Vidal is is being read aloud. Uh, it's read aloud by an actor. Vidal is John Lithgow, who is notably liberal, mm-hmm. and Buckley is Kelsey Grammer, who's notably conservative. Mm-hmm. And so, even like they even chose that, like, okay, we could probably get someone that sounds more like Buckley than uh, uh, than Kelsey Grammer, but maybe maybe that actor will imbue that the writing with something that shows his own disagreement with what he's reading. We can't have that. And so even in their choice of the actors that they got, uh, they wanted it to seem as fair as, as possible, but obviously bias always comes through, but I will, I will say that, you know, I, I do, this episode is going to, going to get more political from here, everybody, by the way. So just a heads up. Um, I do, I mean, it's, it's provable that, that the, that the modern media is left leaning at the very least it's people that believe more liberal ideas. Hmm. And then the argument is how much of that, if any, do they bring into their reporting? That's where the argument lies, but there Mm -hmm. is no argument about the majority of reporters do vote Democrat. Um, and then, and then. You know, obviously, Fox News, everybody acknowledges, uh, is right-leaning, despite its fair and balanced uh, uh, slogan. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think any reporter, not a, not a pundit, but I think any reporter would say, like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not biased. I acknowledge that people can be biased, but I try to take that out. I think these guys are going, are working as hard as they can to remove their bias, but it's. Mm-hmm. it's arguable if you can ever remove your bias a hundred percent. Yeah. And it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't feel like a hack job or, you know, by any sense, like it, it doesn't seem like they, yeah, it's not Michael Moore. Yeah. They don't have any interest in 
tearing down really either of these guys, I don't think. Um, but, uh, and maybe it's just a personal thing for me that it, it rubs me a little bit the wrong way when I think is the reason they made this because they want to show this one thing. And I think there's a lot more you could get out of the movie mm -hmm. uh, either way, but I think it's very possible that left-leaning people going into the film will come out thinking that same thing. Sure. Um, um, but that might've happened either way. Yeah. And, and by, and they, they could have just had this be this, the Buckley Vidal debates from the view of quote unquote, the winner. And a lot of people view Vidal as the winner because Buckley lost is cool. Yeah. And so, you know, the idea of history is written by the winners. So who cares? Buckley's gone mm -hmm. and he lost anyway. So who cares? Let's go ahead and use this as an opportunity to show that as far back as, you know, the 1960s and earlier, and even a guy as intellectual as Buckley still showed what a, what a homophobe he is, what a bigot he is. It could have been that. And people and people, certain people still would have loved it. Mm -hmm. um, but they they seemed to think that there was value in showing it this way. And I think where I think where their um, where their not loyalties, but where their priorities lie as filmmakers comes with what what they show happened after the debate. Mm -hmm. And they show they interview people who talk about Gore Vidal as a guy who would run the, who would have like a VHS of the debates and would have his friends watch it with him over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And that he was obsessed with it and that he was a very unhappy guy. And yeah. that, and that oddly enough, he himself sort of was forgotten. He was, I mean, he was a very prolific writer. Mm -hmm. um, but for whatever reason in like the eighties and nineties, maybe because, you know, during the Reagan era, people weren't that interested, weren't that interested in Gore Vidal, but um, but for whatever reason, people just stopped reading his books. He was very much, he was very of a moment and kind of stopped being. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so the film certainly does not glorify him. It, it makes no. him look at, look like if nothing else, a sore winner. Yeah. Um, and eventually a deeply lonely and unhappy man. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it makes, and it makes Buckley look like a guy who's, who is very, haunted by by this thing by this mistake that he made yeah um and that was all and that you know the two of them i mean they sued each other mm -hmm. uh over various uh things and like this feud just continued and it was just a so as you as you see sort of not even the epilogue because a good portion of the film is devoted to what happens post debate mm -hmm. um but in that and their and, and the way that the filmmakers show these two guys, the, the trajectory of their lives going, um, I think that's where they find a, a tragedy in both of these men's lives, regardless of what they individually believe politically. Mm -hmm. um, and so once again, and I do like the, the, there's not much, but there's a little bit of biography on, on both guys. And you come to realize how similar they were in a lot of yeah, in their upbringing yeah. and even in failed political bits. <laughs> um, it's it, that more than anything is, is what I like about the film is that in some ways it is thorough and just showed all the different angles that you could look at this debate from, Yeah, you know, 
the like basically these guys looking in like an inverse mirror of each other mm-hmm. uh, of themselves and seeing this person that like oh I've, if things went bad I I would turn out like this and that's why I need to destroy it I need to <laughs> smash this mirror um, so yeah and and it's weird and I and I I feel like I'm getting a little bit uh, defensive of the film again I do think that it is a little bit slight. Um, it is a little bit easily digestible. It's fairly short. I feel like they could have gone deeper. Um, Mm. you know, there's no crime in making a documentary entertaining. There are plenty that, that are, um, but again, if you're talking about how this was when punditry started to go wrong, eh, maybe don't treat it quite so happily, Mm. um, or, or so glibly, but I guess it, it takes on the tone of the of its subject and yeah. those were two very glib men yeah no i think so and uh, and to that you know to that end it does feel fitting um so uh so one of the things that i that i wanted to talk about is that ending um where you see these two guys just who've lived full lives. They're both kind of sad. There's an interview with Charlie Rose where Buckley is, is talking about like, you know, if he had the opportunity to be 20 again, would he take it? And he said, no, absolutely not. (laughs) And he said, if I had a, if I had the opportunity to take a pill and I was 20 years younger, I wouldn't take it. And Charlie Rose said, well, why is that? And he said, because I'm, I'm just growing tired of life. Hmm. I'm growing tired of living, you know? And that's, you know, that's a thing that any number of, that anybody as they get older could say, um, but I don't know. It's a very, it's, it's a sad moment that, you know, for some people like, oh, living as long as you can is, is what they want to do. They want to experience life for as long as they can. So to have somebody say, yeah, I think I'm done, um, <laughs> is a very, very, uh, counterintuitive, uh, view. And then when you see just the, almost a, this obsession that Gore Vidal seems to have with this debate, mm-hmm. um, and with his own legacy, yeah. uh, in, in, modern culture. Um, now there's any number of reasons as to why these guys turned out this way. But when you look at what these debates were, they were two guys who were supposed to talk about politics. Now they're supposed about, they're supposed to talk about election and you know, there's politics and there's government. The two go hand in hand a lot. But they're not exactly that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when you talk politics, you can be talking about maneuvering, but you are also talking about policy and you're talking about different philosophies of what public policy should be. Mm-hmm. And so obviously they are going to be very personally wrapped up in that. Um, but the fact that they started going for the jugular of each other right away, mm-hmm. because rather than attack the views that one another holds, they seem to say, they seem to see each other as the personification of this political philosophy. So the more I go after that person, the more I will discredit the philosophy. I don't think I necessarily agree with that assessment, but that does seem to be something that both men, uh, a conclusion that both men came to. Hmm. And so those debates got really personal really quickly and just got deeper and deeper and, and then clearly lasted for as long as, as these guys were alive. When William F. Buckley died, Gore Vidal wrote a little something. 
And at one point it said, uh, you know, rest in peace in hell. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, <laughs> this is a guy who has, who's held a grudge, yeah. which is weird considering that culturally he was considered the winner, yeah. but he still held that grudge. Yeah. Going to see the movie, I thought, I didn't know much about the, uh, about the actual debates and, um, I kind of thought it was going to be one of those things where you hear stories about, you know, a lot of times about people who are, uh, have real big political differences, or, but can have like great conversations together and like yeah. get along and, and end up being friends or something. And I thought, I thought it might be one of those things and it is not, it, it is, about is not two people who really do hate each other for yeah. what the other person represents and for what they do to each other. Yeah. I mean, it's, I watched that movie and I, and I, and I feel so blessed to have the friendship with David that mm -hmm. I do, yeah. you know, he's a liberal atheist. I'm a conservative Christian. Now, admittedly, I might not be as conservative as some conservatives and he's certainly not as liberal as some liberals. So mm -hmm. there is that, but we also do have in common a love of film and a respect for each other, at least on that level. Yeah. Um, and so, but you know, we've gotten in, the occasional political argument. It, it, we try not to do it on mic, but we, it happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there is a, a respect there and a, a deep desire for reconciliation. If there ever is a moment when one of us steps over the line or something like that. And you know, that desire for reconciliation does not exist, uh, in Buckley and Vidal. No. And I will use that to transition into larger issues. So, Josh and I talked before we started recording about how comfortable we were talking politics in this episode, like full on politics, not in the, not necessarily, uh, framed solely in regards to this film. And, uh, we both agreed that, uh, yeah, we're fine with it. <laughs> um, you know, uh, we might say something that is offensive to you as a liberal or a conservative or a Christian. Um, and feel free to leave a note in the comments if you want. We will try to be respectful, but when it comes right down to it, we, like I'm going to say everybody, we are exasperated, <laughs> and I'm going to say often quite furious. I'll, that's on me. I won't, I won't speak for you when I say furious <laughs> about where we are as a country, this election cycle. I can't wait for it to be done. Oh, yeah, that's, that's all I'm hearing everybody say right now. But the thing is, like, I, I don't know if I can even agree with that sentiment because it's we're looking at two terrible options. So it's like once it's over, then we get four years probably yeah. of one of these terrible options. Yeah. And it's just unless whichever one wins gets arrested, which could happen in either case. Who is to say? <laughs> you know, and, and so many people, when they saw that VP debate. Now, I'm not necessarily a fan of Tim Kaine. I'm not a huge fan of Mike Pence. But so many people on all sides said, boy, I wish these guys were running. Yeah. Like, wouldn't it be nice if Trump and Clinton, like, stepped down <laughs> and then these guys were suddenly elevated? It'd be so much It'd be so much better because, it's like, you know, one is a governor who I think used to be a senator. One is a senator who used to be a governor. Like, lots of experience. Yeah. Both of them. They know each other on top of everything else. Mm. And they seem to. Yes, well, so do Clinton and Trump. <laughs> well, that's true. Um, but Donald Trump is a monster who uh, won't let past uh, relationships influence how he uh, treats somebody. Um, and so 
you know, even during the debate, yeah, they interrupted each other and they, they kind of went back and forth, but they knew each other and they knew each other as like guys who have a very specific religious conviction and, you know, how to, how to implement that politically was something they disagreed on. But I got the impression that like these guys, like once this election is over, they could potentially like hang out or (laughs) there won't, I didn't get a lot of animosity there. Yeah. Um, and it was refreshing, uh, Mm -hmm. when I watched that debate. Um, whereas, you know, I don't necessarily get a whole lot of animosity from Clinton towards Trump. She seems to just kind of exist on her own and try to deflect the stuff that comes her way. He is nothing but animosity from the beginning of the primaries to right now. And so what I'll say is, and this is, this brings us to like this, this larger point. The attitude does seem to be, you know, I'm going to vote for the lesser of two evils. Some people say that and they, they're going to vote for Hillary Clinton. Some <laughs> people say that and they're going to vote for Donald Trump. Yeah. To my knowledge, nobody. I, I mean, there, there, there are definitely some people out there that are saying like, oh, Trump's a great guy. He's going to make a great president. There are definitely people that say that Hillary Clinton's going to make a great president. But those people are uh, they seem to be in the minority. Like, yeah. The unfavorability rating of both candidates is like record high (laughs) and the, the trustworthiness of both candidates is at a record low. It's as if, uh, both parties were like, okay, well what's, what's the stereotype of the worst things about our party? Yeah. Let's find somebody who personifies that. (laughs) There's a guy named Pat Cadell who was, um, uh, uh, and a political advisor for Jimmy Carter. Um, but he shows up on, he's, he's officially a Democrat. He shows up on, on Fox news quite a bit. <clears throat> he uh, has the distinction of being the youngest guy on Richard Nixon's enemies list. Um, <laughs> he, but he was also a, a consultant for, um, the West wing. Mm-hmm. And he said, and this is, he's always said that the Republican, he calls the Republicans, the stupid party and the Democrats, the corrupt party <laughs> and mission accomplished go. everybody. <laughs> Because I remember every time I would hear that, I'd be like, well, surely not (laughs) on either side. You know, I may have major disagreements with uh, President Obama, but I do believe that he leads with ideology. I don't think I don't think of him as a corrupt person in like the full in like the Huey Long sense. Mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton, I do sort of think that. Oh, yeah. And I don't. And and while they're the Republicans have sort of over the years cultivated sort of a down home, ordinary guy vibe i've never thought of them as dumb until i started hearing donald trump speak and just say tremendous tremendous yeah how about this you don't have to say tremendous three times we got (laughs) it after one i'll give you two just as filler um and so now i'm sure that there are hillary clinton fans that are hearing this and saying like oh that's ridiculous she's not corrupt and i'm sure there are donald trump fans who say that he's not dumb that's that's fine. I don't think he's a complete and total imbecile, and I don't think she's 100% corrupt. Um, but I think... But look <laughs> but he, at the conversation he, we're having. Yeah, he says things foolish enough that we should... That should give us pause, yes. and she has enough shady dealings going on that we need to, like, think more about that. So it's not as if these are just smears that the other side has at both of them. This is This is observable from... Uh, a totally outsider opinion and you know none of this it's amazing how in a lot of the past elections people have talked about 
I, I've heard a lot of people saying like, well, this seems to be about the issues. Uh, this, you know, we got to make sure we're talking about the issues. No one cares about the issues this uh, this election. No. Like the Donald Trump's inexperience or inability to lead or his uh, his ignorance or anything like that. That has nothing to do with being a Republican and uh, Hillary's corruption and kind of like inhuman impersonality. It has nothing to be, do with being a Democrat. These are just terrible things about both of these people. And as, yeah, it makes me think like four years ago, that wasn't like the most pleasant election, but boy, like those debates had a different tone. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and it's just so, you know, on one side we've got it, we have, and, and the fact that people are digging in their heels for their candidate. And I understand you, you know, you have to, because you do, you are aware that this is the candidate that, that, that theoretically is going to represent your side yeah. uh, and is going to get your views uh, put into practice. So I do get that. But at the same time, on one side, you have, you have Christians arguing, you know, people who used to talk about how character mattered. Mm hmm you know, arguing in favor of Donald Trump saying that. So suddenly it's not that important. Yeah. And they're like, well, Hey, nobody's perfect. It's like, yeah, you're right. But that was true about Bill Clinton. And you tore into him. Now the flip side is, uh, you had Democrats saying like, like we shouldn't be about this, uh, in an election, uh, when it was Bill Clinton. Mm -hmm. But now that it's Trump, they're fine with, uh, with bringing up certain, uh, character issues. Yeah. Um, and, but then on the other, on the other side, you have people saying like Hillary Clinton was never charged by the FBI. The director simply said she was extremely careless with classified information. It's fine. That's a big win, right? You know, it's, it's, it is an absolute mess. And anytime during this campaign that Trump has like, looked like he was going to like self-destruct part of me is like, I took pleasure in that because good, I'm glad that that there's no danger of him becoming president except that that means that Hillary Clinton would become president. And then most recently when there's been talk about the FBI, like reopening the case and yes, I recognize it's not officially called a reopen of the case. I get that. Mm -hmm. Um, but shorthand, a reopen of, of, of her email case, you know, so many people are crowing about that. And I myself, I'm just like, yeah, okay, good. I like the idea of getting further to the bottom of this. But if that makes her her candidacy implode, then that means it goes to Trump. I yeah. can't be happy about any of this, even when even the most viable third party candidate, Gary Johnson, is not a guy I I enjoy very much. Yeah, two term governor I can live with. I like yeah. that, but he's a libertarian who is uh, anti religious freedom, hmm. uh, anti religious <laughs> liberty. What? And I think the thing that that I find most frustrating about the whole thing is if only the people on the fringes of both parties are the ones who can find anything positive to say about either of these candidates, yeah. then why is anyone else voting for them? And it's all the lesser of two evils thing. Like <laughs> people want to talk about like revolutions and things like now is your chance to say, no, I don't want either yeah. of these and but nobody's going to do it because they're all afraid that the that the other side's not going to do that mm. i had a fascinating interaction with my brother-in-law who said that he wanted to vote for gary johnson but then he had friends who said you can't do that that'll just be a vote for trump i've had friend conservative friends who say 
I want to vote for Gary Johnson. And then their friends say, <laughs> no, that would just be a vote for Hillary. Yeah. And I had this thought of, here's a thought. <laughs> How about we stop thinking in those terms and everyone just votes for the person they want? Because if that were the case, like certain, you know, Jill Stein or, or Gary Johnson or Evan McMullen or whatever, like would suddenly be elevated and it would be. And I don't know a lot of people that are excited about any of those people either, yeah. but it's it's at least more viable. Like these people are less disagreeable, um, yeah. you know, and I and I recognize that by by diagnosing the problem right now, you know, I, I don't mean to make people more angry, but where it ultimately comes down to is that the amount of compromises, either ethically, morally, or philosophically, that people are willing to make with themselves so that, you know, their party can win. Like ultimately the only, uh, the only reason that a lot of people are voting for Donald Trump is because there's an R next to his name. Yeah. And same with Hillary Clinton. She has a D next to her name and that's it. They're voting for those letters. Yeah. Um, and I, again, I get that, but at the same time to dig in your heels and then defend indefensible behavior is I th especially, and I don't like saying this because I'm far from a perfect Christian on every possible level, but to hear Christians on either side talk about how, like, how can you possibly be voting for this candidate? Don't you realize what he or she has done? Failing to recognize what their own candidate has done or mm -hmm. what they stand for or whatever it might be. And it's just, you know, last last time we did our, our presidential episode, we talked about the Ides of March with the companion film, uh, all the King's men. And we were talking about how these are just people. They are flawed. Even the best of them are flawed and we cannot put our faith in people to save us either individually or as a country or as a world. Um, and, uh, I still believe that, but it would appear that the, the, the number of people that have like really gone all in uh, and it certainly isn't a majority, but the number of people that have gone on, uh, gone all in on Trump or Hillary solely because they are the, they're in the same party um, is exasperating to me and really discouraging um, because, you know, I mean, so you're not on Facebook and I often encourage you to get on Facebook for professional reasons, <laughs> but at the same time, and, and there are times I'm happy that I'm on Facebook because it does expose me to other points of view, even uh, from other conservatives. So I'll read the occasional article that I probably wouldn't have stumbled on otherwise. And I think, okay, this is an interesting point of view, but more than anything, but that's been in the past for the last several months. It's more just kind of, seeing what the, taking the temperature of the country. And it's like, I don't want to click on any of these articles because <laughs> based on these headlines, it look, they look really incendiary and really closed off and angry and just, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm old enough now. I'm 34 and I recognize that's not super old, but I'm old enough now to have voted in a number of elections and to have been aware of the general tone of the country. And I feel like we have never been more divided than when, than we are right now. Um, it certainly in my lifetime, I recognize like in the sixties and stuff, it was, it was pretty bad, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's so, 
it makes me angry. And then I find that I don't, that I'm too tired to be angry. And then I just want to go to sleep (laughs) and wake up in four years. (laughs) But the question then that I have for you is, is this just what it's going to be now from now on? I kind of feel like the answer is yes. I feel like it's just going to get worse and worse. Um, unless one of the parties can get enough of a stranglehold that it, it truly becomes kind of a one party system. Even then there will be a lot of hatred there because they have to, whichever party, uh, if one party is able to do that where they have complete control, they'll have to set up a boogeyman who's, who's the bad guy. Right. And it'll, it could be a, a like a puppet political party. That's not even really there. Um, but uh, I don't see it getting any better. I, I I don't really have any hope that it'll that the discourse will change. You know, I have this image in my mind that if we had gone with somebody like, in my opinion, a Marco Rubio, who I don't like the idea of identity politics, but there are a lot of people that do. So I will go ahead and say that he's of Cuban descent and he's younger and he but as far as personality goes, he's upbeat He's mm-hmm. likable. He's yeah. well spoken, and all of these things. And so I did have the thought, like, if we, if it were him against, you know, Hillary Clinton, then I could see people getting behind him simply because he's a more likable, and also just seems less entitled to uh, to the presidency, which I, which is a vibe I get from her and from Trump. Yeah. Um, and I thought, like, okay, so maybe he's somebody that that the country could sort of unite behind on a lot of levels. But then I just thought like, of course not because whoever is on, whoever is nominated on either side is going to be so firmly destroyed by the other side that there is no, there's no solidifying behind one candidate. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like it's, you know, and I guess, and even though it looks at the moment like Hillary is going to win a decisive victory, that will be a repudiation of Trump more so than everybody getting excited about her. Mm -hmm. Um, And so even in my mind where I think like, well, if only we'd had this type of candidate, Mm -hmm. then people would, then, then we'd be in a, a a position to unite. But that, but the nature of what politics is and the nature of how the internet has influenced politics um, and and the pundit culture has influenced politics. I just don't know if that's ever going to change. I feel like everyone's going to be angry all the time from now on. Mm-hmm. And because you know, I, I think too. Like I, honestly, I think if if Rubio had gotten the nomination, I think he would be a much he'd have a lot better shot at winning. Oh sure. Um, and I think the sort of tenor at least within the debates would have been different and you know the way he handles himself on twitter for instance and things like that would have been different um but i think he would have gotten just as harsh treatment as trump is getting now and uh beyond that he's not the one that got the nomination you know like the republican party had the chance and said no we want this big loud angry person with no experience yeah and i think and it was such and, – and there was a lot – I'll tell, I'll say this, that, you know, I had my – I had my order uh, of the of the people that were running because I'm – you know, I'm conservative. I, obviously, I, I have more stake in the Republican nominee than, than the Democrat. But um, 
of the 17 people running, I had my preferred order of who would be ideal. And, you know, I personally think that a Rubio Fiorina ticket would have been pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, people drop out and that's fine. But, you know, for me, Ted Cruz would have done in a pinch. Um, there's not much I like about him, but I think I probably agree with him more. And I think he's infinitely more elegant and respectful than Donald Trump. And so it's like, okay, that's a guy I could reluctantly vote for. I can't vote for Trump. Um, but you know, I think one of the reasons that Trump wound up getting the nomination is because there were a lot of candidates that didn't drop out when they really should have. And so that, so Trump stayed there with his like 25 to 30% which is not enough to get a nomination if it's between you and one other person. Right. But if it's between you and four or five other people and you've got Kasich hanging in there, Carson hanging in there, and I'll go ahead and say Rubio hanging in there. Like he could have dropped out before Florida. His votes probably would have gone to Cruz and then Cruz gets Florida. And so, you know, so I I, I can't simply blame voters. I, I have to also blame like just the way the the candidates themselves were thinking that like oh I'll stay in because because why I don't actually know mm-hmm. um, and that allowed somebody like Donald Trump to get the nomination yeah um, but then on the other side you know all these leaks come out that uh, <laughs> that Bernie who I'll say this I don't agree with him on basically anything but he I don't think he's corrupt uh, I think he's uh, the, I think he's the real deal. I think what he, I think his <laughs> deal is a bad is what deal. You get. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, leaks come out that like the DNC itself was working against him mm-hmm. in favor of, uh, Hillary Clinton. And so it's just like, okay, so there's your, uh, I don't know if that's full on corruption, but it's collusion if nothing else. Um, And, you know, Debbie Wasserman Wasserman Schultz actually had to step down and I thought she was going to be head of the DNC forever. Um, You know, and so these are the these are like the the nature of the front runners just started to like permeate the rest of the party and just like corrupt it like morally or intellectually or whatever it is. And we're left with this and how anybody can. It's one thing, like, if you are conservative and you want to go after Hillary, I get that. If you're liberal and you want to go after Trump, I get that. But how anybody can defend their candidate. If you want to defend your choice to vote for that candidate, that I get. Mm-hmm. But to defend the candidate, him or herself, I just see, it seems to me to be completely ridiculous. And And this goes back to the last episode, which is, like, you don't have to defend the candidate that much this per you shouldn't put your faith in this person you know like i don't know it's and i feel like if we invest so much of ourselves personally in politics then if somebody rejects a view a political view or a political ideology it's a rejection of you personally so mm-hmm. obviously you're going to come at them a lot harder just as to bring it back to the movie, just as Vidal and Buckley did. Yeah. And by the way, it might be just as likely that you'll turn out as lonely, as isolated, as divided as, as they did. Yeah. 
And you know, I, I used to think a lot uh, about 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 why, why politics seems to be the thing that that really gets fired people fired up and makes them kind of angry at each other so much. Because um, there's lots of things that people differ in opinion about sure. and can fiercely differ in opinion about. But why? You know, when I was younger, I remember thinking, why why is politics one that's so divisive like this? And then I realized it's because that's an that's an arena where people. People's views can have a direct a, a direct uh, effect on others. Yeah. So, like, if I differ with somebody about a movie, um, if they get their way and culture at large believes the movie's bad when I think it's good, yeah. um, that doesn't raise my health insurance premiums by right fifty percent. You yeah. know, like they might there might be a lot more Transformers movies, right. but you're not required to see them. Exactly, like that doesn't directly affect me and hurt me. So I I think that's one of the reasons people get so fired up sure. about this political stuff, and that's where it's uh, it's hard to know how we should be approaching this when it's like I I I feel like if the rhetoric that I'm hearing from people who disagree with me is accepted by the culture at large, that's going to hurt not only me, but the culture at large. Yeah, it's it's the difference between wrong and evil. Mm -hmm. To say that somebody is wrong is, you know, nobody wants to be wrong, obviously. Um, but it does sort of... It does sort of imply that, well, perhaps they could be right. Or, hey, maybe I'm wrong in, so, in some ways. You know... It's, it's sort of a state of being that can, that can change. And what's more is somebody could be wrong about one thing and then maybe right about something else mm -hmm. or closer to your definition of right, whatever that might be. But if somebody's evil, then that will affect every view they have. And you will kind of realize, I can't argue with that person. So why even bother communicating with them? They are evil. So I'm going to just write them off. I will work against them and I will work to convince other people, but they are a lost cause. And so, you know, being on, being on campus right now is a little rough. Um, even though my, my cohort of students has been very, have been very cool. And, and, you know, we, we all speak very openly and honestly about, politics and they know where I stand politically, it is actually kind of helpful that I'm not a supporter of Donald Trump because, <laughs> but you know, if it were, if he dropped out and it were Pence and they started speaking poorly about Pence, I might be in a position to say like, well, I'm actually probably going to vote for him. You know, if it were that, then that would be a little bit different and who knows? Um, and then they would see me as part of the problem. Right. And who knows what might happen in that instance, you know, but the same thing could be said if you are a liberal who goes to church in the South in Springfield, Missouri, and you say like, you know what, actually, I think I'm going to vote for, for Hillary or something, or, or let's say, she, let's go with a one-to-one -one comparison. She drops out and it's Kane and you, and she, and this person says, you know, I think I actually am going to vote for Tim Kane. You know, the, the, churchgoers might see that person like, oh, well, you're part of the problem, you know? Mm -hmm. And while I definitely do believe that there are certain ideologies that work better, I think there are some that actually are wrong. And I, th there are some that I think are actually evil. We don't run across a lot of those that often. Um, not nearly as often as the tone of politics would lead you to believe, <laughs> um, you know, words like racist, sexist, homophobe, bigot bigot's the big one for me uh not helpful at all 
Mm. Um, because you can't say evil because that sounds like you're talking about, you know, the Sor- Witch of the West. I was going to say Sauron <laughs> from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, but you can use bigot, which is basically the same. A bigot is somebody you can never, you can never change their mind, obviously. So why even bother? Just dismiss them and move on. And, and I don't like the idea of dismissal. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you look at these debates between Vidal and Buckley, as elegant and eloquent as they might be, they're dismissive. They're dismissing each other constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all about trying to get the viewer. And they might not even be that interested in the viewer. I think they're interested in how do I look best? Yeah. And, you know, that's that's a whole other issue. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, uh, so I wanted to talk about uh, the companion film very briefly. It's a movie that I love, a movie that I love to tell people about. came out in 1984. It is directed by Robert Altman. Uh, it is written by Donald Freed and Arnold M. Stone based on their play. It's called Secret Honor, and it stars Philip Baker Hall as Richard Nixon, and it stars nobody else. It is a <laughs> one-person movie based on a one-person play that is, I believe, hours longer. <laughs> At the very least, double the length. Wow! And it was Phillips, and it was Philip Baker Hall again. Um, so it's just, and it's basically Richard Nixon. Um, I believe at this, by the time the film starts, I believe it is post presidency. Um, yeah, I, I think it's that, and it's him getting drunker and drunker one night, and he is making a memo to I think his secretary, and the longer he talks, the more he starts to ramble about the various people that did him wrong over the years and he just gets angrier and angrier but then he starts to reveal things about his childhood it's an absolute marvelous performance if nothing else Mm. um and one thing that fascinates me and this is uh, this is to the credit of somebody like an oliver stone or a robert altman oliver stone clearly did not like nixon and robert altman hated nixon Mm. but i think even before these guys were were political i mean not before they were but their i think their primary priority is as uh, is as artists and so robert altman is willing to uh have this movie about nixon in which yes nixon looks like a a, a blithering crazy person but he but he also looks kind of pathetic Mm-hmm. You know, and one could say that something that's pathetic could also be seen as just like abhorrent or whatever. But at the core of pathetic of being pathetic is like pathos, which is, you know, you could also say it's sympathetic. Yeah. Um, and while you may not sympathize or empathize with Nixon, there are times when you feel like, man, this poor guy was like nobody's more miserable than he is. Like I might not have liked him, but he never made me nearly as miserable as he's <laughs> making himself right now. Yeah. Um, and it was the same with Oliver Stone when he made Nixon, which I thought was actually a very good movie and a shockingly sympathetic portrayal of Richard Nixon. And then Oliver Stone did it again with W. Um, and it just, it just surprises me. It gives me tremendous respect for these filmmakers. Um, now, you and I watched Secret Honor. I'd seen it before, but you, we watched it uh, for movie night many mm-hmm. years ago. What do you think of this film, Secret Honor? Um, I, I think the, the performance is great. Uh, it's, it's definitely an interesting look into that character. I don't find it easy to watch. <laughs> yeah, it's not an easy one. One person yelling and getting drunk is not that easy to watch. Yeah, so... Uh, there are 
I remember several moments through it where I was like, I don't, I don't know if I can keep, <laughs> I don't know if I can hang with this. Can you imagine a play double the length? No, <laughs> I can't imagine anyone seeing a play like that and saying, you know what, this needs a big screen treatment. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I think it's always interesting when you really delve into a character, especially one that is so well known and, and so divisive. And there's, there's going back into politics a little bit. One of the things that's fascinating to me about Nixon is in so many ways on paper, he's exactly what, uh, people on the left would want out of a Republican. Like, yeah, he reaches across the aisle in a lot of ways. Like when you look at the stuff that happened in his presidency, like he ended the Vietnam war he opened trade relations with China. He all started these, the EPA. Yeah, there are all these things that everyone would agree on, and yet all we know about him is he's the, the he was the corrupt one who got impeached yeah. for it, and he yeah. was like you know there's no there's no sugarcoating that. But like th- I think that's one of the things that makes examining him interesting is like that he he was trying to be every all things to all people, but he was so. Uh, neurotic about doing that, that he, you could say he sold his soul for it. Yeah. I mean, you know, you want to talk about personalizing the political. I mean, yeah. that was him all over is yeah. he viewed whether he won an election or lost an election. Yes. I mean, anytime a candidate loses or wins, it is, it is an affirmation or a rejection of that person, but it's that person as a political figure. Um, and whether or not people have faith in them to run the country. So obviously it's a referendum on that person. Yes. But there are, pl- I don't think of anybody, I don't think anybody, well, there probably were, but people that voted against Mitt Romney, I don't know how many people thought like that guy's a, a horrible person. I don't think I would like hanging out with him. Like he was clearly a super nice guy and uh, very civil and very respectful. Um, but I think, you know, there are a lot of people who just thought like, I don't think his brand of, of, you know, free market capitalism and, and corporatism. It's like, I don't think that's what's good for the country. Hmm. Um, there, on the other hand, there were people who thought that he was going <laughs> to throw old people off cliffs or, uh, well, no, that was Paul Ryan. No, that, that's uh, they true. thought Paul Ryan, his running mate was going to throw old people off of cliffs. Um, Rolling <sighs> Stone seemed to think that he was going to kick poor people to the curb while wearing a crown of some sort. Yeah. <laughs> One of the one of the best ways to get me angry is to bring up the political writer for Rolling Stone. Who's that? Matt Tybee? Is that how you say his name? Uh, I don't care. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> um, anyway, so, uh, but that's the thing is, is every election for Richard Nixon was, do they like me? Do they love me? Mm-hmm. And the longer he holds on to power, the more it must mean people love him, right? Yeah. So he can't lose power at all. Mm-hmm. And so now, and so imagine him, somebody like that, and you don't have to imagine it, it happened. Um, somebody like that being so roundly rejected by the country, being so seen as so dishonorable, so untrustworthy, so corrupt, a guy who won 49 states in his reelection, mm-hmm. you know, he could have, I mean, there's that, that line in the movie Nixon where uh, Kissinger says, can you imagine what this man would have been ha- if he'd been loved? Mm-hmm. I'll go another, uh, but I'll go another step and say, can you imagine what he had been if he'd felt loved? Mm-hmm. 
or if he had gone somewhere else for love, to put it in that way. Um, and so you wind up with the Nixon of secret honor. This guy just lurking around hallways all by himself, just kind of a self-imposed exile, just raging at the world because the political world didn't give him what he wanted and what he needed. The political world will never give us what we want and need. It might make our lives a little easier financially, perhaps. Um, you know, and there, and don't get me wrong. I'm very, I have very strong opinions about a number of political issues, and I think they're imp- and I think they're important. But that's that can't be where we find our identity as Christians. If you're if you're a liberal and you know a Christian who's voting for Donald Trump because he thinks that that will be the best way to get the country on track, don't call that person's Christianity into question because they have their own reasons, and that same guy could do the same thing to you. And so that's what I'll say is if you are politically conservative and you have a friend who is uh, that is a Christian and, and is voting for Hillary Clinton. Don't you can say that person's wrong, but don't say that person is evil. Because when you're saying when somebody says I'm a Christian and then you call them into question, you're actually saying that they're being deceptive and being evil. Mm-hmm. And that's not helpful for anybody. Um, you know, like Donald Trump is not gonna save your soul. Hillary Clinton is not gonna save your soul. They can't even save their own. <laughs> um and can barely keep their campaigns above water. <laughs> exactly. Um and so, uh, you know, there's only one person that can save us, and that's Marco Rubio. Wait, <laughs> hang on. What did I? No, that's a joke, of course. Um, I have a quote from C.S. Lewis that I actually enjoy quite a bit. He who surrenders himself without reservation to the temporal claims of a nation or a party or a class is rendering to Caesar that which, of all things, most emphatically belongs to God himself. Um the Bible does say that we should give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God and, and give to God what is God's. Um, and, and uh, okay, so I'll read this. I'm reluctant to do so, but we can talk about it. Romans 13, one, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. What do you think of that? <laughs> uh, that's a hard pill to swallow. It is. And we never know why mm. it might be because everything's going to, this person's going to make everything go great. But if King David can make, th- can r- screw things up as badly as he did, then anybody can. Yeah. And, and perhaps God brings somebody to power so that, you know, so that people, you know, maybe it's a, a complete horrible person and people unify against that person. Like now it's frustrating to unify in anger, but better to be unified than not. Mm. I'm not talking about a mob mentality, <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm not saying, uh, go kill anybody, but at the same time, you know, in like a tragedy, we sometimes wonder why is it, why is a tragedy allowed to happen? And it's because sometimes the best in humanity comes out as a result. And that's just one theory. Who knows why? Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about God's sovereignty and it's bigger than any one election. It's bigger than any one candidate and it's bigger than our specific vote. If things don't go the way you want them to, and by the way, with this election, that's a guarantee for me <laughs> and for you. Yeah. It's not, it already is not, has not gone the way I want it to go. Yeah. And so, um, 
you know, you can either despair over that, which I, and I despair about most everything, <laughs> but you can either despair over that or you can take comfort in the fact that God is in control, that God is the one that saves us. God is the one that redeems us. And incidentally, he's the one that loves, saves, and redeems everybody else as well. And so hopefully that can keep you from demonizing the other side, but it can also keep you from investing too much of yourself in one candidate, in one party, in one country. Um, because if you do and it lets you down, you will be uh, William F. Buckley who says, I'm tired of life. You can be Gore Vidal who will watch this thing over and over again, you know, trying to relive his glory days. You'll be Richard Nixon in secret honor, uh, just, you know, running around like a wounded dog. Like that's what that's what happens when we put our faith in things that will fail, that are guaranteed to fail us. Very few things are more guaranteed to fail you than politics. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, but in the meantime, you can put your faith in something larger and putting your faith in that larger thing can also hopefully engender a love of your fellow man. Um, so I'll say, I'll transition from that into Matthew five verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you not even, uh, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do, uh, do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect, which is to say Jesus died for everybody. Not ev Now, maybe not everyone will take advantage of that, but it, he died for literally everybody. And so we need to try to love others as he did. Uh, and then if things don't go our way, I will go ahead and I'll just re I'll just repeat Romans 13 one, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there's no authority except that which God has established sooner or later, politically things aren't going to go our way hmm. probably sooner. Um, <laughs> you know, and we just have to have trust in God and, and encourage one another, not discourage one another, not, not get angry at one another. You know, it's a spirited debate is fine and you're going to get angry. It happens, but you know, always be looking towards reconciliation with fellow Christians or, or not, you know, and, and I, th and that is how you can survive an election like the one we're in the midst of. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, feel free to go out and vote or not. Oddly <laughs> enough, I understand all, uh, I understand each, yeah. um, you know, and, uh, can you think of any, any last, any last political thoughts, any endorsements you want to make? <laughs> I, I'm endorsing Ronald Reagan for president. Oh, all right. Okay. I'll bet somebody's going to write that in, right? <laughs> Somebody has to. There's a million, there's millions of people in this country. That's a lot of them. Someone somewhere is going to write in Ronald Reagan. Maybe Mickey Mouse. Sure. There's a lot of things you can write in. You can write in me. Anybody want to vote for me? Go ahead. You know what? If you were running, what would you, what would be your big platform? Um, I don't know. Better like, conditions for people. I don't know. Like Frisbee and stuff. Like that. Oh, there you, you go. You change the national pastime. To Frisbee. To fr I like baseball, frisbee. though. So that's You right. do like baseball. Yeah. If Ultimate Frisbee... I guess I remember our friend Sean talked about how like one of the big uh, 
appealing things about Frisbee. And I think you said this too, is that like, oh, there's no, it's like not official, you know, like there's no official rules that you have to adhere to. Like everything's just very, you know, he was talking like he lived in a commune or something <laughs> like that. But Well, there's uh, no referees. There are official rules, but there's no like referees. The team, the players are supposed the rules. to. Nobody. Oh my gosh. The spirit of the game enforces the rules, Tyler. <laughs> oh man, you're sounding uh, like Gary Johnson. Um, okay, so I think we're going to leave it there. Um, we've been very negative. I hope, hopefully, we ended on a positive, and because we do want to encourage you to be, you know, on top of everything else, you know, pray for, pray for our country. I have no idea what the next four four years are going to look like. I assume they're going to look pretty bad. Um, but that's no reason that you can't pray for the country because out of bad, sometimes great things happen. So, yeah. and we are told to pray for our leaders. And if it seems hard to do that, remember that we're also told to pray for those who persecute us. Even exactly. If, and often they're one and the same. Whoa, watch out. Getting a little political here. Hey, <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, MoreThanOneLesson.com. Uh, you can follow me at More Lessons. You can follow Josh. At the Josh Long. You can follow him at the Josh Long on Twitter. You can email me, Tyler, at MoreThanOneLesson.com or Josh, Josh at MoreThanOneLesson.com. You can like us on Facebook. Uh, and yeah, thanks everybody for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye. <laughs>